How can water do such great things? There's been a couple of times when I've been teaching about baptism, I ask something like, what, uh, what is the water in the font and where does it come from? And some, someone, uh, usually a, a student, will call it holy water because that's what they've heard on TV or whatever. And they think it becomes holy water like baptism is some sort of magic trick or, or that the water comes from someplace special like the, the Jordan River in Israel or something. But the water that is in this font isn't holy or special. In fact, the water that is in this font comes from uh, just the tap in the sacristy here. And before that, through the rusty old pipes in this building and the city water tower. There's no magic in baptism. The only trick is making sure the water is hot enough at the beginning of the service so that whoever's being baptized isn't shocked uh, later on if it's too cold. There's nothing special about the water in the font. It's ordinary. And yet through this substance combined with God's powerful word, that converts a, a, a dead sinner's heart to life and faith in Christ. Luther wrote in the small catechism, and you confessed earlier that it is not the water that does these things, but the word of God, which is in and with the water. And I think we, we generally get that, right? But we also still want to treat baptism like it's a magic trick, that it does something for us just because we do it. Like a dog doing a trick to make its owner give it a bone. Uh, we do the thing with the water so God will give us something. He'll give us heaven or forgiveness. But Luther in his catechism is, is very smart. He almost anticipates that our natural inclination is, is to make baptism a thing that we do to, 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 to make God's will be favorable to us. And Luther says it's not the water that does these things, but the word of God, which is in and with the water, and faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. Baptism, because it is combined with God's word, actually does something. It creates faith. It forgives sins. It unites us with Christ and his death and his resurrection. And it gives us the gift of heaven. But if you don't believe that, then you reject what it is that baptism offers. Our Lord's passion on the cross and his interaction with the two thieves there, even though neither was baptized, is a great illustration of this. Luke tells us that two men were crucified with Jesus, one hung on his left and the other on his right. And the difference between these two criminals and Jesus is, of course, that they were criminals and, and he isn't. The cross, by the way, and death by crucifixion was reserved only for the most horrific of criminals. These men who uh, were there had done horrible, terrible things, murder and who knows what else, to justify their punishment. And to die by crucifixion was, was a days-long ordeal. It was such a brutal execution and punishment that Roman law even excluded its own citizens from crucifixion because it was that bad. And this wasn't even the worst of Jesus' suffering. Even worse was the shame of the cross. You know, normally when we view paintings of, of the crucifixion, a cloth is wrapped around Jesus' waist. But this is a matter of piety and, and not history. Because the soldiers that are there are gambling for Jesus' clothing. 
Jesus is exposed naked on the cross, suffering shame. And worse even still was the wrath of God, the suffering of hell that Jesus endured on the cross. And yet Jesus' words here are amazing. He speaks about the soldiers who who hung him there, unjustly and unfairly, and the ones who are gambling for his clothing as he's hanging there in his shame. But he doesn't call down curses on them. He doesn't tell them to to take him down because he's innocent. He doesn't tell them to, to give his clothes back and put him on him. He doesn't give them any law. He proclaims the gospel. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But his words go unnoticed by most. In fact, Luke writes, the rulers were ridiculing him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also made fun of him. Coming up to him, they offered him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Even one of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But one man saw everything that was going on and heard Jesus' words of forgiveness and gospel. It was the other criminal. And he rebuked the other one and he said, Don't you fear God since we are under the same condemnation? We are punished justly for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Amen, I tell you. Today you will be with me in paradise. How can this be? How can such an awful sinner, the worst of criminals, an actual murderer, be with Jesus in heaven? He didn't do anything. He didn't make up for his crimes. He didn't do any trick to make God look with favor and mercy on him. What difference is there between this criminal and the other one? Or between any of the soldiers or rulers there for that matter? Why did Jesus look with mercy on this man and not anyone else? Well, he didn't. Or rather, he he did to everyone. There was not a person there who Jesus did not look with mercy on. There was not a person there who had not had their sins forgiven. There was not a person there. There has never been a person in the history of the world, before Christ or after Christ, who has not had their sins forgiven and heaven given to them by Jesus' work of redemption. So why is this criminal the only one that Jesus says will be with him in paradise? Because he's the only one to have faith in the forgiveness Jesus gave. Imagine that I told you I wanted to give you a million dollars. And I show it to you and I I hand it to you. But then you say, "Ah, it's too good to be true. You wouldn't do that. That's impossible. And then then you take and you throw it into a fire. Your believing it didn't make it real or not. It was real. It was there. It had even been given to you. But you just chose not to believe it. And so your unbelief rejected that benefit. It rejected the gift. And so it is with baptism. Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. 
Baptism is not a magic trick. It's not something you do just to cover all your bases. It's not something that parents do to have their kid, to, 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 to their kids just to make sure they've got them covered, uh, that they've done everything possible to make God happy with, with them. If that's all baptism was, and if our goal was to, to just baptize as many people uh, so they could be saved as possible, then we should, uh, and if faith weren't necessary, then we should just stop having church and we should attach a fire hose to our bell tower and just spray people as they're walking by as we're saying a magic formula. But it doesn't work that way. And this is, by the way, why we, why we have sponsors at the baptisms of children who make sure that the children are taught the faith and are brought up into the faith. Baptism actually creates faith and it gives the forgiveness of sins. As St. Paul says in Titus 3, according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Jesus' death on the cross justified the entire world. We are justified by grace, and it is brought to us through the gospel and through baptism. But by not having faith in baptism or in that and in what Jesus has done, that's rejecting the gift. Those two criminals on the cross, there is nothing different about them. They were both sinners who were justified by God's grace. But only had one, but only one had faith to believe in, and so received the benefit. And that's all that faith can do. Faith can't reach out and take. Faith can only receive like an open hand, that which God has already given. If Jesus said to you, Jesus himself said to you, Amen, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise, you would believe it. Right? You'd have no doubts but believe it. And this is exactly what God says to you in baptism. Paul calls baptism a faithful saying. It's trustworthy, it's true. It's new life being brought to you. It is your sins being forgiven, as surely as the thieves on the crosses were. And you know, there's probably never been a person more sure of eternal life in the face of certain death than that man was. At any moment, he was going to die, but he knew for a fact that Jesus would take him to heaven. Because of baptism, we now live with the same hope as that man. We are sinners, criminals, who deserve nothing but punishment for what our deeds deserve. But who have instead been given heaven as a gift out of God's grace. Our faith trusts what blessings baptism has brought to us. Our faith doesn't make it real, but clings to what is really there. So we live knowing that we will die, but through Jesus, because we are baptized into Christ, we too will inherit paradise. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.